Do you believe that God wants you healthy? Then join me, Cersei Blue and Gigi Carter on the Healthy For My Purpose podcast, where we help you realize the relationship between your health and your purpose. We share how eating like Daniel can revolutionize your life. Through discussions and interviews, we challenge you to discover the powerful connection between plant-based nutrition, your body, and your faith. It's time. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Healthy For My Purpose. I'm excited to be back because we have part two of Dr. Ferry's Silencing the Inner Critic and Knowing God's Voice. If you haven't listened to episode one, you want to make sure you get caught up with that um, episode so that you really can get the richness that is coming ahead with part two of this podcast episode with Dr. Mark Ferries. But before we jump into part two, I wanted to um, just talk about a few things um, that Gigi and I wanted to get your support from. Number one, if you are enjoying this podcast, guys, please go ahead and subscribe on iTunes and also to write a review because what happens is when you write a review, um, we actually get more reach, like more people are able to search us and find us and then we're able to help more women like you take control of their health. Um, also, um, if you want to give us some feedback, we love feedback, maybe an episode that you would like to learn more about or a topic or um, just even a comment, um, you could definitely go to Daniel Fast to Healthy Living on IG, Daniel Fast to Healthy Living on IG, and you can message us. You can um, let us know um, how you're enjoying the podcast or if you have any requests or feedback that you wanted to give us because we're always trying to level up and serve you better. Um, the next thing is, guys, we are having a great time in our Facebook group. So if you are on Facebook, we would love to have you. And again, it's the same handle, Daniel Fast to Healthy Living on um, Facebook. I will attach both the Instagram handle and the Facebook group handle in the show notes. Um, that way, if you're just listening to this while you're driving or you don't have a pen or you might just forget, you could always just jump into the show notes um, and find us. And lastly, guys, we are so, 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 so excited. Um, we The Healthy Woman's Healthy Christian Woman's Boot Camp is coming this spring. You don't want to miss it. Um, I'm going to put the link in the show notes. You can go ahead and sign up to get on the waiting list. So as soon as it is launched, you will get notified. Um, the, the Healthy Christian Woman's Boot Camp is going to be fire, guys, because we are taking the very same principles that we use throughout all of um, the work that we do, but we are going to layer it um, in a format that really pushes you to fight back and reclaim your health. Guys, we are living in times where we cannot afford to neglect our health or be to be lighthearted about it. Um, and especially, I feel like a lot of us um, have a lot of things that God are calling us to do, um, you know, and so we need to be healthy. And so this is going to be a four day exclusive boot camp where we are going to roll up our sleeves. We are going to give you the tools to put in your arsenal so that you can fight back and take control of your health once and for all. The The whole idea of this Healthy Christian Woman's Boot Camp is the idea that enough is enough. If you have been walking around the same mountain, if you have been finding that, you know what, you tried something and then you're back to square one, you've done this diet and you're back to square one, then you want to make sure you join this boot camp. And so just check the show notes for that as well. So without further ado, let's dive into part two of silencing the inner critic and hearing God's voice.
there's actually a second part that uh, I was asked to sort of talk about, which is relevant, I think, uh, in our pursuit of healthiness and weight control and some of that. And this is what I really found, to be honest with you, in my research, I wasn't finding, other than the cravings and the survival for food and those mechanisms and responding to stress and um, um, kind of just keeping going, that was big. But there was this other component that, I, that we call sex. And particularly, that's this idea of mating, of finding a mate, of keeping a mate, of uh, a significant other and passing our genes down. Plus, there's the physical drive of sex. And so what we have is we have, if you start most basic, the physical drive for sex and the pleasure that comes from that. Clearly, you talk about dopamine. Um, there, there, there is plenty of dopamine that comes uh, with the physical act of sex and the desire for, for that. But there's also this aspect of um, being attractive that falls into this, uh, the perceptions of our own body and are we attractive? Are we sexy? Could I attract a mate? Could I not attract a mate? Um, and there, there's a very robust uh, research behind this. And many, if you look at my CV, uh, uh, what I, when I started looking at reasons women in particular were wanting to lose weight, and even more specifically lose body fat, by far the most common reason reported was to be more attractive and to improve their perception of body image, to reach whatever their perception was, was attractive, right? I'm not saying it was realistic and sometimes it was, sometimes it wasn't. It was just so common, I could not dismiss it. And so I started looking into it. How do we see ourselves? And this was a really uh, great thing Paul Tansley did several years ago. Um, that took images of women and then had them um, manipulate the image to match up to what they saw. So this is what we would see if we saw these ladies. That's what Rachel sees and that's what Rebecca sees in herself. So we find that our own complicated fleshly view of ourself and our own attractiveness the innate psychologist would say the reason we overdo this is to make sure we overcompensate to make sure we are attractive enough to attract a mate. Again, I'm not talking, there's no moral in this. This is just flesh, materialistic explanations of, of psychological aspects related to body image. So as I say, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm saying that this is a natural phenomenon that exists in the human flesh. It exists in men as well, as we'll see in just a moment. Here's two other ladies, Danielle and Cassie, what we would see, but then you can see what they're manipulating. Are you seeing some trends? Like they're picking out areas, in some degree, common areas. They think their hips are bigger than they really are, for example. Uh, there's facial features, but like with Danielle here, it, it might be her chin, for example, that she's over-exaggerating, where Cassie, it's the, her eyes and things like that. So everybody's a bit different, even though there are some consistencies. In my research, we would do DEXA scans, and these were the images that we would produce that assess body composition. Uh, I photoshopped out the lungs because we did a study years ago. These are three real women that got scanned, that I scanned personally on our body composition scanner as a graduate student. And uh, these women, three women, are the same body fat percentage. So they're between 50 and 55% body fat. Their waist hip ratio and their body shapes are clearly different. And so what I was getting anecdotally, right, when I was showing women these images and telling them their, their feedback, is I was getting crazy array of emotional responses and variation in motivational responses. Are they motivated? Are they not motivated? Did I just make things worse by giving this feedback? Did I make things better? Those are the things I was wrestling with. And as I've told Gigi and Cersei before, as a young guy, I just didn't know what to do. I didn't understand it, but I was extremely fascinated with these emotional uh, responses and why it was happening. What could I do to fix? Because I'm a fixer. And so I, I want to make, th make them feel better. And I don't want them to leave upset uh, unless they're going to be productive with that, right? I don't want them to go do unhealthy things. Um, I just always want to make things better. But this was so hardwired that, that I think that's what frustrated me, right? And now you could go to uh, theories of nurture, if you've heard that before, and this would be the idea, uh, as, as we said earlier, the soul can be influenced by the way you're raised. And so the, the cognitive psychologists, the materialists would say that um, there's things in our environment that we respond to, media, magazine articles, before, after pictures. And if we're constantly seeing that, there's some really neat research on fitspiration images, 
and, and things. And, and sometimes we can look at men and women who are fit and we supposedly use that as inspiration and that can happen. But also it's creating this uh, standard for us to uh, achieve as well. And so that's all driven by the nurture, the, the environment around us. But what I was picking up also was nature. And we have this back and forth sometimes where you have people take the nurture side, like the social psychologist, that you're acting because you're wanting to be this attractive because the media is telling you to be that attractive or the social pressure is telling you to be that attractive. And that's definitely true. We are, we are wired to respond to that. However, they, in error, they will dismiss the animal-like nature, the understanding instinctively that the scripture talks about. That's the nature. Same thing on the opposite. Some will say, no, you're just an animal. There's no social aspect. Well, that, that's wrong too. And so it's not black or white, as I say, it's herringbone. Uh, and the interrelationship between nature and nurture is strong. David Buss at the University of Texas at Austin, he's, he's the evolutionary psychologist that I took courses from that I learned about this innate psychology of which, again, I would call the flesh. And he is a su super guy, but he looks at this innate nature, particularly in women and men and mating preferences. Uh, and their view would be something like this. Those who fail to mate um, fail to become ancestors. That's that sex, that animal drive, right? That fleshly drive. Women, in this quote, are too easy to attract, are perceived less desirable. And so there's this aspect of how do I navigate intrasexual relationships to attract a mate? How do I navigate environments? What do I wear? What do I not wear? Does this make me look better? Does this or that? What about this makeup? What about my hair in this way? There is all the stimulus, just like for food, there's all the stimulus that the animal, the fleshly brain, has to accommodate it related to body image as well. And so we can create these scenarios. What is ideal, right? And how does that differ between men and women? So there's this long line of research that if you had to create an ideal body, what would that be? How does that differ across culture, not only with women, but with men? And it does differ. There's some similarities, but things are different. It changes over time. So that's the nurture aspect. This whole animal nature is trying to figure out. All right. I know this doesn't sound that encouraging thus far, but the reason I'm going so much into this is because I want you to know that the flesh is really, really powerful. If you read about the flesh in the New Testament and you read Paul's words, and in Romans 7, he gets to a point, he says, what a wretched man I am. He gets to a point where he sees at least the flesh and how it undermines his soul's best effort to align with holiness and love. I believe, and some might disagree and that's okay, I believe we need to understand what we're up against. I need to we need to understand our fallen nature and what it is and what it does and how it can be stimulated. If we don't understand the power of it, in my belief, then we may not be motivated to adjust our environments. We may not be motivated to adjust our relationships. We may not be motivated to adjust what we're looking at and how much time we're spending with things on social media, looking at those images or doing this or that. Because what ends up happening is the fleshly, appetites war against each other as we'll see in just a moment there's a classic peacock story in this and i think i've told you guys this before but the male peacock sees a female opens up this beautiful plume to attract the female so the the fleshly appetite or passion for sex is high but the prioritization of that over uh survival is occurring right because now predators can see and for the longest time, I couldn't understand why men and women would put their health at risk to achieve a status of body image or what they perceived as attractive. Does that make sense? I, I didn't really know. I couldn't explain that. Um, the scripture would say, as we'll see in a moment, James says that your fleshly passions are at war within you. Um, and that's what we end up finding is it's almost like a uh, proverbial battle of the king of the hill. It's like, is my desire of uh, high fat, high sugar food going to win out? Or is my desire to be more attractive going to win out? I'll be honest, for me, for many years, before I really put a scriptural lens to all this, is um, I couldn't really understand. Uh, I couldn't really put my finger on why I was pursuing a certain body image, but it was strong enough to override my desire for unhealthy food. But then that created uh, some problems that I'll go into in just a moment. 
Gg Cersei, how am I on my time? Am I over uh, already? It's okay. You can keep going. This is good stuff. So, <laughs> so let let me wrap up this. I'll I, I'll kind of if y'all can give me maybe ten minutes. Okay, maybe. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Okay, I apologize. I, I got no excited worries. about this, and I yeah. figured this might happen because again, this is a really complex thing, and you don't want to leave anything anything short. If you understand the flesh is powerful, then you can start weighing it. And I'm not saying that the fleshly appetites are bad. I think St. Augustine nailed it. He said that, look, bodily beauty is indeed created by God, but temporal and carnal, and therefore a lower good. And love more than God is, who is eternal, inward, and everlasting good. That love is wrong as the misers when he forsakes justice out of his love for gold. So it's not that being more attractive and looking pretty or handsome or whatever is necessarily a bad thing, right? It's just at what point does it go too far? And this is when you study in the scripture. I just want to teach you two aspects here that as you're studying this, you'll get a better sense. Remember I just said, James says that uh, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? That word for passion, that's, that's fleshly appetite. It's uh, hedone, the, it's where we get our idea of hedonism, this pursuit of pleasure, avoidance of pain. Again, it's animal nature, uh, animal-like, uh, fleshly. Uh, in and of themselves, these passions aren't. This My craving high-fat, high-sugar food or good food, in and of itself, right, may not be bad. But at what point does it become wrong or hurtful to me? And that's what we hear uh, or read in the scripture is fleshly desire. Depending on your Bible translation, you really got to, again, look at the original Greek um, of which word it's talking about. Sometimes it says desire, but it's really talking about uh, hedone, a, a passion or an appetite, um, and or lust. Usually when you see the word lust, it's talking about this word, uh, epithemia, or the root word for that. And James in the next verse, right? So here he said, uh, is it not this that your passions are at war within you, that, that fighting, that sex versus survival type idea? But then he says you desire, he chooses a different word here, and you do not have, so you murder, you covet, you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. The best example of this is with Eve. Um, in my opinion, in the Garden of Eden. What happened? Eve saw that the tree was good for food. That was her flesh. She was able to, I, just like when the grocery store, we're picking out uh, what apples look good, right? That looks good. And it was a delight to her eyes. But right after that says, and the tree was to be what? Desired to make one wise. And she took the fruit and ate. Milton in Paradise Lost, I think does it um, uh, perfectly. And eat her appetite raised by the smell. So savory of that fruit, with which desire, not passion, but desire, inclinable, now grown to touch or taste, right? That's the works of the flesh. Now I want to fulfill that uh, and get my fix. Solicited by her longing eye, fixed on the fruit she gazed, which to behold might tempt alone, however, and in her ears was that sound, yet rung of his, the serpent's persuasive word, impregnated. Uh, this word impregnated, why did Milton use that? It comes from scripture. James talks about that. He says, look, Every person is tempted when they're lured and enticed by their own desires. This is epithumia. This isn't passions, uh, appetites. This is fleshly desire. Then desire, when it's conceived or impregnated or seized, gives birth to sin, and sin is fully grown, gives birth to death. So I found this painting years ago, and I'm not trying to be offensive with this, um, and, and I don't cover it up. And, and I, I, I love this picture for many, this painting for many reasons. Um, as a health, psychology, health psychologist who has studied a lot on emotional responses and particularly guilt and shame, this picture to me is just, I don't know, it just touched me in, in some reason. Um, the shame that we read about that Eve and Adam also experienced following the fall that originated with a fleshly appetite that turned into a desire through temptation by the serpent, which led to a work of the flesh which led to sin um, and deviating from God's plan and God's will, which led to consequences. So I get questions a lot related to this emotional side of, of pursuing healthiness and, and weight loss, et cetera, is, well, should I feel guilty? Should I feel shame? Um, in the psychology research, guilt is not necessarily a bad thing, to be honest with you. Um, if you look at the research on guilt, it's it's like saying, I did not go to the gym today. So I didn't make it to the gym, right? It's just, I didn't do the behavior I wanted to do. 
yeah, I kind of feel guilty about that. That actually is related to greater physical activity. And we have evidence that that might also be related to healthier eating as well. Um, that again, this is the psychological literature. Um, not dealing with sin at this point, right? So uh, it's just dealing with behavior. So guilt from a behavior not related to sin um, can be okay. Shame, however, is bad news. This is when you negatively evaluate your view of self. I'm a bad person because I did not go to the gym today. You see the difference? That's actually negatively related to physical activity and healthy lifestyle. Scripturally speaking, you're dealing more with grief and sorrow. Um, and I put some scripture down there. You can just go do a word search and look at grief and sorrow. Uh, the best story or event of this is where the Pharisees brought the adulteress to Jesus outside the temple. And they were, if you remember that story, they were going to stone her. That's what the, the, the law had said. Jesus wrote something in the sand and then eventually they all leave. The woman is still there. And so Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Um, has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And then he said, well, neither do I condemn you. There's, there's complete removal of guilt from the sin that she had just committed. But then what does he say? Going from now on, sin no more. So there's this aspect of what we do that relates to how do we view ourselves and what voice do we view at a certain time? And I'm going to skip down to this point of we have a spiritual aspect that has to relate to all this. In other words, in the last five minutes, I want to share what goes on and how did Jesus view us? How does God view us? How should we be viewing ourselves and what is the voice? Right now, we know the soul can give a voice. We now know the flesh can give a voice, and we know, that that, we know what that voice is trying to get us to do. But we're also spirit, right? Spirit comes from this Greek word pneuma. Um, and I'll just tell, this really brought home to me, and I'm not trying to be sad. It's just, it, but a couple, two years ago, a little over two years ago, two years and a week or so, my, my dad died. Uh, he had bladder cancer kind of spread to his spine. And uh, when it was getting close, and I knew it was getting close, um, his breath started getting deeper and deeper and the pauses between his breath started getting longer and longer. And so when I was there, I kept thinking like everyone you see, right. And if you've been there, you're like, was that just the last one, right? Was that the last? And then he'd bring in another one. Like, so he's kind of unconscious at this point. And so, but that last one, which was true, the last one, the Jewish, view of this and into the new testament would have been when my dad breathed his last right and that last breath they would have said that's the pneuma leaving that's the spirit that's what gives mm -hmm. life when the baby in the womb is, is is alive and then it comes out and the baby takes that first breath and how exciting that is and in contrast to the story of my dad when my daughters were born and they take that first breath of air that they would say that's pneuma that's the spirit that's the life giving God's spirit hovered over the earth at creation. There's a guy named Dr. Tim Mackey that talks about the spirit. He does the Bible project, and I highly recommend that you look at his work when he talks about the spirit. But he talks about the spirit of God hovering and bringing life. Uh, we know that the spirit existed in the temple, uh, the tabernacle, then Solomon's temple, then Herod's temple, in the Holy of Holies. And then what do we know? That John the Baptist, Jesus approached John the Baptist, and then the spirit descended. It was like a dove, right? And it says, he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain, this is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And the reason I bring this up is because the question we should ask is, who are you? Who are you in the midst of the soul, flesh, and spirit? Who does God say you are? God says, because of the spirit, you're valued. And there's many scriptures on this. And this is just one example. God also says you're a saint. And if you've seen that word in the scripture, it means holy one. You are holy because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you uh, if you're a Christian. He also says you're righteous. Tony Evans, pastor in Dallas, uh, in, in Oak Cliff, uh, who I listen to a lot um, and used to go to his church, he says, you are holy, so act like it. So there's a sense of, I view myself, yes, I'm valued, I'm holy, I'm forgiven, I'm justified. But now I need to act like that, right? I need to act like I'm not enslaved to the flesh anymore, as Paul talks about in Romans 8. I need to act like I'm enslaved, or Romans 6, like I'm enslaved to righteousness. And so a phrase that I picked up years ago was, if my body is God's temple, then my wellness shall show his grace. 
the grace that we receive, the grace that that adulteress received from Jesus. Yes, you're forgiven. There should be no guilt in your sin. Go and sin no more. Use that grace as motivation to continue. My belief is this is why we pursue healthiness. This is why we pursue uh, taking care of our body as God's temple. Uh, this is why we need help because we're dealing with the flesh and that is so tempting and God knew that. And so now I see the Holy Spirit different now. I, I see it as life-giving one, but also I see it as the helper. And Jesus said, look, it's better that I go away. It's better. That's got to be crazy to the disciples thinking about that. And how many of us crave, man, if Jesus was just here, right? Just with me right now. But Jesus like, no, that's not the way that it's better that I go away. And the helper comes. One, as I've highlighted down at the bottom there, will convict the world us concerning righteousness, right behavior, what aligns with God's holiness. Because they do, uh, because uh, I'm not with you, it's the last line there. I'm going to convict, the Holy Spirit's going to convict of righteousness because I go to the Father and you will not see me no longer. When Jesus were here physically present, everybody could see Jesus and know what righteousness was, right? Well, now that Jesus has gone to be with, with God the Father, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us to do that. If we start thinking about what voice we should be listening to, is this giving you any hints so far of where that voice is coming from? This is what that voice says. It says that you, you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. It says that your behavior is an act of spiritual worship. Every meal you eat, I believe, is an act of sacrifice. It's an act of spiritual worship. Just because I eat a bad meal doesn't mean I'm a bad person or I fulfill a fleshly appetite. But if I start overeating to the point where I'm damaging my body or I'm not treating it as holy and honorable as God's temple, that Jesus gave his life in the same spirit that lived in the tabernacle that was present in God's temple that was present in Jesus is now present in me, not because of my own doing, but because of God's grace. And that changes things. That voice, I hear that voice loud and clear. I hear the voice that says, so glorify God in your body. I hear the voice, do all, whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do, all in the glory of God. That's the voice I hear. Now, does that compete with the voice of the flesh? You bet. And so when we think about what voice we're hearing, you're clearly getting a sense of who's your inner critic. I believe, because what Jesus said, that I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to convict you of righteousness. That's sort of a critic, kind of, right? That's sort of a critic saying, hey, man, you're, you're not loving that person by doing that. That's not agape love. That's not selfishness. That's sort of an inner critic. That's God's voice because it's directing me toward love. And I'm going to kind of end, end with this because I'm, I'm way over. Uh, but if I hear a voice that's more selfish, that's not God's spirit. If I hear a voice that's sending me away from treating my body with honor, that's not God's voice. That's not the Holy Spirit living inside of me. If the voice is sending me away from holiness and righteousness and, again, love, agape love, unself, that's not the voice from the Holy Spirit. So what we end up seeing is, and I'm going to skip to the last the slides here, what we end up seeing is that the voice that we hear, if it's sending us toward righteousness and holiness, it's the one that we want. The problem is sometimes, if not more times, we, want, we don't want to hear that because being unselfish, that means I got to go and being loving means I got to go admit I'm an idiot. It means I got to go and, hey, I, I, I screwed up. You know, I, I sinned. Um, I wanted my way. I didn't want your way. I wanted my way. And that's why this happened is because I'm selfish. I was prideful, right? I had a fleshly appetite for that food. Um, but you know what? It became gluttony. It did. And you know what? I'm convicted of that. All right. I'm ready. I'm ready to go. Right. So that's one voice. Uh, th those things are hard to grip with. Plus when our flesh like, you know what? You can have it this time and you can, but if you keep saying that over and over where it becomes troublesome, this is what Paul was getting with. And this will be my last, uh, theological point. In 1 Corinthians 6, I highly recommend you read this, but the, the Corinthians were doing that exact thing. They're like, hey, Paul, I know we're saved by grace, but man, look, all things are lawful for me, right? And then Paul says, yeah, but not all things are helpful. Yeah, but all things are lawful for me. I'm saved by grace, man. He said, yeah, but I will not be enslaved by anything. So when I teach this, I say, look, when you're thinking about behavior, you're thinking about inner voices, think about these two things. 
not all things are helpful or benefit us and can actually harm us. If your voice is sending you to cause harm to you or people you love, it ain't, as we say in Texas, it ain't the Holy Spirit. It's coming from another voice, likely the flesh or your sinful nature. I will make a note. We didn't get to get into this. The soul is also guilty as well. Uh, the soul, Paul talks about in Romans 8, that I highly recommend you read. He says, if you set your minds on things of the flesh, then you're going to act like that, right? And I have a model that kind of shows this, that the soul can either slide down to the flesh or it can elevate to the spirit. If you set your minds on things of the flesh and you're trying to satisfy those and that you succumb to that inner voice of, of selfishness and self-preservation to the point that you're hurting yourself, as Paul's saying now, you're setting your minds on things of the flesh and you're going to behave, as Paul says, only in a human way. You're going to act like that animal person that, that Jude and, and Peter talk about. But if you set your minds on things of the spirit, as Paul said, if you walk in the spirit, if you're step by step, your day is prioritizing then it's going to be focused on the voice is going to be about, is that helpful? Is that benefiting? Number two, some things enslave us and take us under its power to control our thoughts and behavior. So in other words, the freedom that you have is not an opportunity for the flesh. It's not an opportunity for that voice, especially fleshly desire. Rather, what are we called to do? We're called to control this body in holiness and honor. Paul says, again, should we continue in, in so that grace may abound? No. This is why we don't judge people, right? This is why we don't know where people are in this process. I asked before we started this, kind of where everybody was in their progression, because all of you are probably in a different place. Um, and that's what's so great about this sort of group is I'm glad that you're in different places because it allows us to learn from each other. How is it at that? Or you know what? I was in that place or, hey, I'm about to get to that place. Jesus said, look, I came eating and drinking, and they said, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard. If you have a donut, even though I gave it a hard time today, and I give the uh, church donut a hard time, and, and, you know, you have a donut. It doesn't mean you're a glutton. Um, it doesn't mean you're a drunkard. It, and, and if you're friends with sin, tax collectors, so to speak, and sinners, it doesn't make you a bad person. If anything, that gives you opportunity to love. C.S. Lewis is probably my favorite of all time. Um, and I wish I could read his books and just memorize it. Uh, and because he says things, um, St. Augustine does too, but C.S. Lewis for me, he just says things that I'm like, that's, that's exactly what I was thinking. And so this is the last quote I'm going to leave you with, because as we go forward and battle, so to speak, the scripture says we're at war with the flesh, the spirit and flesh are opposite each other. The soul is at war with the flesh. And we need self-control. One of my biggest revelations was that self-control is not a fruit of my own efforts. That was shocking to me because that's what I'm trained in. I'm trained as a psychologist, health psychologist, to say, look, you can create your own self-control. The scripture doesn't say that. Scripture doesn't say you create your own self-control. It says self-control is a fruit of the spirit. And so is love. And so is patience and kindness and gentleness. So what does that mean for me? It means the things I do, like removing cues, so my health, my, my, how I can eat healthier in my environment and stuff's not, that's letting the fruit grow. That's not inhibiting the spirit, that voice inside of me that's trying to say, look, Mark, I'm trying to help this, this self-control grow in you, this patience and love and kindness and gentleness grow in you. But man, you keep putting your mind on things of the flesh. You are so consumed with the way you look and not with how much you love others and serve others. You're letting it get into pride. You're letting it get into envy and jealousy. So you're setting your minds on things of the flesh. Your soul is gonna be drawn to that. You're inhibiting this spiritual fruit that I'm trying to grow. The war that exists sometimes can feel like it gets us down and it can feel like that it's overwhelming. That's where you have the, uh, the, uh, the spiritual armor if you've ever read that in Galatians, read that. Tony Evans, by the way, has a sermon series on the armor of God that is phenomenal. And I highly recommend that you watch those videos on, on YouTube or on his channel. Despite the fight, the last thing I'm going to leave you is a direct quote from C.S. Lewis. And it's, a, it's just a few slides, but I'm just going to read it to you as I end. We may indeed be sure that perfect chastity is what he's talking about at this point, or perfect charity or love, this agape love. 
will not be attained by a, a merely human effort. You must ask God for help. Even when you have done so, it may seem to you for a long time that no help or less help than you needed is being given. Never mind, he says. After each failure, ask forgiveness. Pick yourself up and try again. Very often, and remember this, very often what God first helps us towards is not the virtue itself, but just this power of always trying again. For however important chastity or courage or truthfulness or any other virtue, any other fruit of the Spirit may be, this process trains us in habits of the soul, which are more important still. It cures our illusions about ourselves and teaches us what to depend on God. We learn on the one hand that we cannot trust ourselves even in our best moments. And on the other, that we need not despair even in our worst for our failures are forgiven. Then he ends with this. The only fatal thing is to sit down content with anything less than perfection. Okay, I'm going to stop. Hands up. <laughs> Thank you for letting me go and over. Wow. Sorry for yeah. all those folks who um, were, were there, but I, I hope, hope that was okay. I'm going to stop my share. Yeah. So I apologize. Um, oh, that was great. But I hope it got to where you guys needed. Are there, are there any questions that we do have time to answer? Yeah. Yeah, let's see. We're, um, we've got a little bit of a delay with Facebook, so, um, but we had a lot of great comments. Um, people saying um, very thought-provoking, great perspective. Um, another person saying mind-blowing wow and so yeah so a lot of great comments but one question i had um just practically in terms of the appraisal process that you talked yeah. about early on um what are some specific and, and you know when you started off and you said when you hear this negative voice you say no i've actually never done that before and i think it's a great tip i think it is. you know it's it's like one of those things that when you said it it's like yeah i should do that yeah. Um, but what are some specific, like, strategies that people could use to, um, to change the perspective? So, like, I'll give you an example. I was having this conversation with Cersei um, maybe a week or so ago when I went to an event that didn't have, like, food that I like to eat or want to yeah. eat. And I... Um, I was hungry. I mean, I was, you know, I had just adopted a plant-based diet. And, um, and so I remember just consciously saying to myself, you know, I just kind of went into this like Zen state, like, <laughs> I'm just going to be hungry. I'm just not going to eat. I'm going to be hungry. And, and I remember thinking to myself, you know, I, I had fasted before, you know, not had any food for like five days and I survived. Right. And so I remember going to that experience and saying, I just have to make it through the next three to four hours without food. Oh, that should be easy because, you know, I had done it for five days. And so I did. I just, I stayed at the event, left, and then went and got something to eat. I didn't know I was doing an appraisal process at the time that I was doing this. You definitely were. But, but yeah. And so what are some, some things that people could ask themselves when they're, you know, faced you know, in a situation where maybe they're, they've changed their environment at home and, but they go into work or they go, you know, to a friend's house or something and there's not anything that's there that they want to eat that's serving their, you know, that's helping them in terms of their health Yeah. to just avoid it or. Okay. So if the, if the end goal is avoiding and, and making a decision like you did, um, then, then one aspect is, hey, you know what? I do the best I can. I eat a little bit and I'm not a bad person. You know, mm -hmm. I just, I had a cupcake and it's not the greatest. It's not really in line, but you know, it was just a cupcake. Uh, some people can't risk that. Um, some, some people can. So that, that's one aspect. However, if the goal is avoidance, one thing I want to point out is, remember when we talked about that if I can't change it, right? So even though you didn't know you were doing it, that was the first process, which you, you, decide I can't change this I'm stuck and so you accepted that and you tapped into resources that you had in the past which I fasted before and it was okay right you've 
you reflected back on that and it gave you more confidence to say, I can't change it, but uh, you were able to respond. So uh, I'd reiterate what we did talk about, that th those are very helpful. Can I change it or not? And then uh, how do I respond to that? Accepting those things that we can't change. I can't avoid it. So, okay, are there any resources that I have? How can I tap in those? Maybe it is something I've done in the past. And your story also picked up on a couple other things. One is uh, there's this idea of tapping into meaning. And I did have that on the slide, but uh, that's one thing I would highly recommend and something I recommend a lot actually is uh, always being aware enough, or if you want to use the word mindful enough, paying attention on purpose, the idea of being aware enough that you can remind yourself when you need it of your, who you are, uh, what are your values, what is meaningful to you, because the stronger that identity becomes, the more consistent we want to be with that, that view of self, that value, the more consistent we want to be, and the easier it is to be uh, consistent. I think I've told you before, but if somebody finally gets the, I'm a, a healthy eater, which, you know, you said you were earlier in your changes, uh, but let's say somebody adopts that, well, healthy eaters don't eat unhealthily. Right. I mean, so that's like an easy, uh, yeah, I just don't eat that. You know, it's not a big yeah. deal. We don't know how to get people to that, but this process of this uh, sort of self-talk in this way, this positive way of appraisal and coping, um, and asking the question, can I change or not, is a very strong and helping, I, I believe, develop that process. The other term that I use a lot is, is transcendence. And that's this idea, and we might have talked about that before, but that's this idea of sort of transcending above, so to speak, this momentary thing mm -hmm. to what's meaningful and value. You know what, this is, this is sort of a dishonest thing. I'm an honest person. No, this isn't aligned with that. And that's where I'm gonna pull us back to uh, the last, the one the thing that I use a lot that ties back into the scriptural perspective here that everybody can use, and I highly recommend, and another reason I talk so much about the flesh today is I recommend you transcend back to who you are in God's eyes, always. You always transcend back to, up to, I am loved, I'm valued, I'm holy, I'm righteous, um, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, Jesus who knew no sin died uh, so that we could become the righteousness of God. Like grace, right? Mercy. I'm, I'm big on transcending to those concepts immediately. And the reason that is, is because it helps us see with more clarity, you know what, this desire, this, this appetite that I have for this food, that's the flesh, right? And I've identified that now. So once I identify that, now I know. So me finding that, oh, I see, uh, I crave that food or uh, uh, maybe it's seeing an attractive woman pass by, right? And so I see, uh, I've heard people say, looking once is they're attractive, looking twice is you're lusting, right? It's like, I, let's say I see an attractive woman once. Well, that's a fleshly, not that that's bad. There's a bunch of attractive people, right? There's attractive people on this talk right now, but once I know that's what it is, now I know why well, I can't continue in this way. You know what I mean? So once I'm able to identify things as coming from the flesh in comparison to where my soul wants to be related to the spirit and holiness and honor and love, I think we can respond more appropriately. Also, I believe labeling things that are the flesh as the flesh removes its power in a large way to know that that's just chemicals you know what i mean that's just that's just mm -hmm. chemical that's not me that it is me but it's not right i'm a soul yes i have a flesh right now but i'm gonna have a different body in eternity so this is what i got now it's fallen that's cool but that's not who i truly am so that process i think can be extremely helpful and one that i emphasize often does that make sense yeah okay. yeah thank you thank you Okay, I think we have a couple more comments here, and then I have a question. One person says, um, I love the example of the first breath spirit entering, last breath spirit leaving, and your teaching on the three parts of man. That was very powerful. Um, so the question that I had, and I, and I love the way that you kind of break down the voices that talk to us. Mm -hmm. What would you say are some practical ways, because even in the midst of our soul, our flesh, there's competing voices. 
And so what would you say are some practical tips to really um, push out or keep at bay the voices you don't want and bring the Holy Spirit to the surface where that's the loudest voice um, in your narrative? Yeah, great. It's a great question. Um, it's actually the part I'm working on in my book right now, uh, <laughs> coincidentally. Yeah. Um, because I used to have a quick answer to that. Um, mm -hmm. And now I don't. So I'm going to try to be as succinct as I can, but I preface that to say that I, I'm, I'm working on that. Scripturally speaking, mm -hmm. the, the answer that Paul gives, so in Romans 7, where he talks about the war, the struggle, uh, I want to do this, but I don't. I don't want to do that, but I do it anyway. That whole thing, mm -hmm. uh, what a wretched man I am, but thank God. So then he goes right back to grace. And then he follows that up with two major things. And one I mentioned earlier, but the other, the, the main thing was walking in the spirit. That is it. Now, there are many pastors and preachers who have talked about this concept of walking in the spirit. That's what I, that's why my answer is not so quick anymore, because I've heard so many takes on that. It's like, well, what is my take? Is it the same? Is it all of it? So to, for the safety of time, I would say go study and learn as much as you can about walking in the spirit. Uh, listen to people, read about it, try to really get a grasp on in your life, what does it mean to walk in the spirit? A part of that, as Paul says, is setting your mind on things of the spirit. So I've been trying to think through, do it, am I that guy? Am I an acronym guy, which I kind of am. I was like, but do I come up with a walk acronym in my book? Anyway, so there's scripture, the, the W, there's two things that I think about. One is work. Uh, Paul talks about work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And so I, I think you work at it. Uh, when I use the garden um, analogy, kind of like I did in, in the plant-based conference that we just did, mm -hmm. I'm, I think a lot now about pulling weeds and keeping that garden tended and pruning and keeping out predators. And now there's some animal digging in it and like, well, you know, what kind of fence? Do I, that's work, man. And anytime you see a garden that looks really good or a yard that looks pretty and you've ever tried it, you know, that person did a lot of work. Mm -hmm. So it's not that we're doing it to create self-control or create this proper voice. We're doing it to allow the voice. Um, I heard a pastor one time talk about if um, in the A, for example, or the other W before I get too far is worship. Uh, and, and there's several spots of scripture that talk about worship and that that should be a key process in this walking in the spirit the a one one is uh attention i think is again setting your mind on things of the spirit i heard a pastor talk once about let's say there was a room that you dedicated two hours a day to uh he was using an example of, of pornography and just fleshly stuff and you just went in there for two hours every day and there was posters and you read stuff and internet and you just consumed set your mind on that stuff for two hours a day in comparison to a room what if you had a room that was all prayer being quiet being still confessing repentance uh just sharing your love and your thankfulness for great and just spending two hours doing that setting your things your mind on that stuff getting out and serving and loving other putting your other people first like so that where your attention goes would be big as well. There's also scripture about abiding in God's love, in love. And so uh, I had a conversation this morning, oddly enough, um, and it was uh, coincidentally enough on, on disordered eating in particular uh, in, in two individuals. And we found that their issue, which is not uncommon, I found over the years, is, is pride. I think that much of our anxiety and depression and desire to socially meet other um, standards that put us in an unhealthy situation, either mentally or behaviorally, is from pride, mm -hmm. uh, a fleshly desire. Not that everybody likes to hear that, especially in the moment, but uh, there could be envy and some other things too, but pride, man, it just seems so this, this having a humble spirit. And what we determined today with those two um, women was, they need to get out and love. That's what they need to do. They need to go sacrifice their time and their energy and their skill set to 
other people that don't have it as good as they have, that need help, that need. And so that's their prescription, their, their tangible thing. Now it's going to look different for them. So I would say that by far, and that would be the L is like, get your butt out there and agape love and study love and study agape love. And what does that mean? And how does it differ from the other Greek words of love? The K would be knowledge. Um, where there's plenty of scripture on uh, studying God's word, studying uh, how do I apply these things in my life, and that's understanding. If you can ever listen to sermons related to knowledge translating to understanding and applying it via the Holy Spirit in your life, so it's not just knowing the scripture, for example, and memorizing verses, but remember when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, what did he do? How did he fight those temptations? with scripture, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's not just knowing it, it's applying it. Mm -hmm. If you listen to the Tony Evans series on the armor of God, again, I highly recommend it. He'll talk about um, the sword of the spirit. And there's three different words that are talked about when it refers to um, God's word. There's logos and a couple others. But the, the one that it talks about there is actually act what Jesus did saying the word. It's not just the Bible. It's not even the logos, the meaning of the word. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's not graphe, the, the Greek word slipping my name, uh, mind, but um, it's applying that word. That's when we get understanding. That's where we get wisdom. That's where we get putting this stuff into practice that is more indicative of tangible things that we can do. So uh, Gigi, instead, <laughs> and also in addition to yelling no, you know, if you start doing that, which is cool, um, <laughs> Have, have your go-to scripture that you pull out. I have mine mm -hmm. um, that I use and I find and I write them down and I have a sheet and I memorize those and I use them often for many tempting situations or many, and it's the same one, but it doesn't lose its power. And that's what we're called to do. The sword of the spirit, by the way, and the armor of God is all about when uh, the, the, the adversary is all up in our business. And it's in that moment when things are just, it's just tough right now. And so to your question, Cersei, when it's all up on us, that armor of God uh, is where it needs to be. The last thing I'll mention is in Second Peter, uh, the first chapter, it talks about uh, pursuing virtue first. And then it goes through this sort of this supplement virtue with this, supplement this with this, supplement with this. It's like the best supplement stack there is for all the functional medicine folks out there. But uh, <laughs> It is like the spiritual supplement regimen that drives from virtue and it ends with love. And it's, I mean, it's just incredible. Um, to me, that's tangible things that you do and you work on uh, as often as possible. It's balancing going to these psychological tricks and tactics, which I'm not saying are bad. We have to pull weeds. We got to do that. But it's just making sure we know that I'm not creating the self-control patience love that I need. I'm creating an environment that allows that to grow as fruit. Thank you for joining us on the Healthy for My Purpose podcast. We hope you enjoyed the community and are walking away empowered and encouraged to live your healthiest life for your God-ordained purpose. You can connect with us on Facebook and Instagram to enjoy fellowship with like-minded women. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this on iTunes. Until we meet again... Keep honoring your body for your purpose.